Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from Chris Dupre. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app or website for ways to give. Good morning, good morning. These little guys that we just got, how hard is it to take the top part off? Then, then you, f- you finally get that off, and it just kind of flips right off really fast. And then you get the other one. And you're like doing everything you can to be so careful so you don't spill it on yourself or the person next to you. I just, I live in a real world. Even during communion, we live in a real world. So I want to I wanna grab something here. Just the words of a song we sang this morning. I feel like if I just read it, we can then have an altar call. Um, uh, I'm caving into your beckoning. I can sense the call of your spirit. Ooh. It's a still small voice, but I hear, lead me in your ways and breathe upon my face. There's a place where there are no limits, and you won't relent till I'm in. You don't want a surface relationship. You want more than this. And it speaks about take me on a deep dive into your heart. Show me every detail. All that you are, all that you are. Into the unknown, Father, come and show that your spirit, spirit's never been hiding. It's the faithful ones that keep finding. I don't want a surface relationship. I want more than this. And then this is the part. Show me what's breaking your heart, even if it... What's even if it messes me, because I don't want to know you in part. I want to know you really know you. I don't want to reach the end. Here's here's where I'm sitting over there. Just tears are filling my eyes. I I don't want to reach the end of my life knowing there was more I could find. I don't want to know you in part. I want to know who you really are. Oh God. I just ask that you would help us to not reach the end of our lives and go, I I didn't go where I needed to go. I didn't see what I needed to see. I, I didn't dig where I needed to dig. Give me your grace to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Great song. Anybody ever? I had never heard that before. Anybody? Have you heard that? Some of you have. Um, Well, uh, Nathan is down with some members of his family, everybody but Ethan. Ethan is here. The rest of your family, they're like in Florida, hanging out, going to Disney World, you know, and you're here. I'm so sorry. So just reach your hand out to Ethan right here this morning. (laughs) Lord, help his heart. Uh, you're doing okay. I know you're doing okay. Um, well, I, this is the uh, the shortest series. Started last week. It ends this week. <laughs> so uh, maybe the shortest series is one week. We should do a one week series. That would kind of be that would be fun. Um, 
I, I, I might have shared this a couple of years ago. I've only shared it once, and I don't remember who I shared this with. Um, and so uh, this is a equal opportunity offender joke. Are you okay with equal opportunity offender jokes? Okay. Um, <laughs> I just read this yesterday. <laughs> and I said, I, I really shouldn't do this, but I'm going to. Um, <laughs> Nathan's gone. Who cares? <laughs> you know. <laughs> the Presbyterian Church called a meeting to decide what to do with the squirrels. After much prayer and consideration, they concluded that the squirrels were predestined to be there, and they should not interfere with the will of God. That was the Presbyterian Church. The Baptist Church, squirrels had taken interest in the baptistry. The deacons met, they decided to put a water slide on the baptistry and let the squirrels drown. They liked the slide so much, and they knew how to swim, so more squirrels showed up the following week. <clears throat> the Methodist Church decided they were not in a position to harm any of God's creatures, so they humanely trapped the squirrels, set them free near the Baptist Church. <laughs> Two weeks later, the squirrels were back when the Baptists took down the water slide. But the Catholic Church came up with a very creative strategy. They baptized all the squirrels, consecrated them as members of the church, and now they only see them at Christmas and Easter. <laughs> we doing okay? Okay. Kelly, you okay? Okay. <laughs> She's not sure. <laughs> you won't like this next one. <laughs> Not much was heard from the Jewish synagogue. They took the first squirrel, circumcised it, and they haven't seen a squirrel since. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh. Now, I know you guys have the power to remove all of that back there from the sermon. Oh, you're going to hold me hostage, aren't you? <laughs> um. If you have a Bible, uh, open it up and turn to Acts 17. That's going to be our jumping off point this morning. I want to read the first 12 verses, so follow along with me and... and uh, I don't know about you, but when someone stands up and reads scripture, I just love it. I just, it is, uh, it warms my heart. It, it, it goes to the very essence of who I am. And so, now when they had passed through Amphipolis uh, <laughs> and wherever they passed through, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Um, we were talking about this morning by Dan, who is playing acoustic guitar. We were talking about there should be a Bible course of just words you can't pronounce. <laughs> and I know these words. I've pronounced them before, and I get up here, and I look, at it and it's like, Andalusia? No, no, that's a... I feel like I'm calling out some kind of a horse. <clears throat> then Paul, as was his custom, went into them, and for three Sabbaths, reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying... This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews, who were not persuaded, 
becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, gathered a mob, set all uh, the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying, <clears throat> these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. How do you like that? That's the testimony of the people that were unbelievable. They turned the world upside down already. I love these guys. Jason has harbored them, and they're all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> uh, saying there's another king who's Jesus. They troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away, listen, by night. It, it had to have been so dangerous that for Paul and Silas to step out during the day, they would have been killed or, or something. Uh, and so at nighttime, uh, they sent them out quietly. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. This, these guys just keep doing this. They just keep going there. And the more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, that they received the word. Um, and, they, and, and they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. And they, sent, they went from uh, Thessalonica to a place called Berea. Um, I don't know if you were following last week. Uh, Nathan ended with the idea of, uh, and used the word Bereans. And Bereans uh, is, is just a word, well, first of all, Berea is, is a city. Bereans is a word describing those that were in Berea at the time, uh, it, it describing someone or a group of people as having a heart to not just hear God's word, but to study it, to know its meaning, to know how to live from it and how to live for it. So it's, it's, it's when you use the term Berean, you're talking about someone who just doesn't, you know, watch from a distance, hear the word, kind of nod and then kind of go their own way. A, a biblical Berean, a true Berean is one, even today, if you're hearing this and there's something you think is amiss, uh, the Berean goes for it. They go into the word of God and they find out. And, and I've had people come up to me over the years and I'm not sure about this point you made. And I, I never feel bad about that. I was like, yes, go for it. What, what is it that you think is contrary to what you know? And we... We'll go back and forth. <clears throat> uh, I learn, they learn. And it's, it's always a good thing. Um, but they sent them out at, at night. And the, here's the funny thing. The name Thessalonica means the victory of falsehood. I like that one. So the victory of falsity or falsehood. So somehow a false teaching was victor in Thessalonica. And it took over that area. Uh, read, read Thessalonica, read, read the books themselves, and you, you get a better idea of where Paul's coming from. Um, Berea, though, I love this. They went from one place where they were just about killed and had to go out at night from a place that loved falsehood, that established falsehood. Actually, it says the victory of falsity. So it, 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 it wasn't just warring for it. It had victory. And a group of people... You love the fact, uh, uh, 
uh, that they, they were victorious with their false ideas. <clears throat> and then Berea, which Paul now goes to, Paul and Silas go to, Berea means well-watered. Oh, I love that. And so we as, as believers, um, we've come from a place where we were living, in, is, is Tyler's up here, you know, describing, if you'd known me 10 years ago, I didn't know you 10 years ago. I, I, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around who this guy was 10 years ago. I don't know, but I'm sure that falsity was a victor in your life. And you were go, you, we go down these, and I don't, it, it's different for everyone. Um, for me, it, it was a long time ago. <laughs> and uh, the idea of being uh, someone trapped in false thinking and then moving to a place where now I'm well watered. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Bereans were well watered. <clears throat> and who doesn't, who doesn't want to be well watered? Who doesn't want the, uh, the word of God to go into you so deeply that what roots you and grounds you is truth and the affections of God's heart? We live in a culture that's shifting in all the time. And, and from... Uh, I'm just going to go from shifting uh, genders to shifting thoughts and ideas to shifting ideas about who God is, what he can do, what he can't do. Uh, politically, it's bizarre. <laughs> it's just a, it's, it seems like a different world uh, on our planet now than when I was younger. I know that makes me sound like an old man. Well, when I was young, everyone was perfect. Yeah, I... I don't want to go there, but uh, I, I've heard those kinds of, it, it just feels different. It feels disconnected that the things uh, that some, some years ago, there were one or two issues in our country that now seems like a thousand issues, and they all want to divide us, and they all invite us uh, into their, I would say, level of falsehood. So that we'll find a place there and we'll let our roots go down so that falsehood has victory over us as individuals. <clears throat> the Brians themselves, it says in uh, Acts 17, 11, it says, they were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. More noble-minded. Noble-minded um, is, is, we think of someone noble uh, so, a, a chief, a president, uh, someone who's done something great. But this term, noble-minded, it, it means that they, they constantly wanted the right thing to lead them. The, the connotation there of a noble mind is, I want that which is right, and I want that right thing to lead me. That's the heart of a Berean. I, I want to know what is the truth, and then I want that truth to guide my life. And it's so easy now in our culture to be guided by, you name it. Um, all you have to, you know, if, if, if <laughs> commercials, they're out there to guide you. I mean, these people that, you know, there's Ford commercials all the time. Oh, sorry, Steve. <laughs> Which should guide you. <laughs> over to the Ford dealership in Hanover. Um, no. <laughs> Have you seen all the medical and, and the, I mean, 
you will just about die. And they go through the list of things that are going to happen. You, you'll lose your mind. Your wife will leave you. But you should get this drug. I mean, every other commercial is a drug commercial. And then they have their disclaimers at the bottom. And I was on the radio the other day listening, and this drug commercial came on. And it, it, in the commercial itself, I would, I don't know how long it was, maybe one minute. And I would say that a good 40 seconds was disclaimers. It went for 10 seconds, all this happy music in the background. And then about 40 seconds worth of disclaimers that tell you, and by the way, uh, the potential for death was the last one. And then the music kept happy again. <laughs> and they gave you the name and said, go talk to your physician. What idiot is going to talk to their physician? We're invited into so many bizarre little worlds. Um, oops. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to keep going, but I turned the page to the squirrels, and I, I can't go there again. <laughs> um, now I'm, I'm, I want to have your permission to go somewhere. Can I get your permission? Okay, well, these guys are. How about, oh, you guys over here. I know it sounds like I'm, I'm trying, not trying to be dramatic, but it is so easy to chastise people about something that may not be personal to them. And so we do these general things. I've heard this over the years. and I'm, I've sat in congregations before, and someone, I don't want to tell you what's going on now. That didn't used to happen. And then they go, oh, I know. That's how I feel, too. I just want to cry. And the, so what I'm, what I'm about to share is, is not, again, it is not be me, can, I'm going to even use a term here that, that may offend someone. It's not me being an, an old fart. Okay? I, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> she doesn't like that word either. Okay. <laughs> um, I got saved in 73. It was the Jesus movement, towards the end of the Jesus movement, and uh, this was my schedule. I'm going to give you my schedule. Sunday, five services. Three services in the morning and two at night. I was part of the worship team, and I nearly died. I got saved and almost died right away. <laughs> my fingers were bleeding. <laughs> ah, got blisters on my fingers. And the the... the the day was done, and Monday was Bible study. Tuesday, uh, I was in the choir because I wanted to learn how to sing harmony because I loved harmony. So I joined a choir, and I sang, and I, I sang either bass or tenor, depending on you know, what the song needed. Um, Wednesday was our Wednesday night Bible study service. Uh, <clears throat> Thursday, I was in a music group called Morning Star, and we traveled all over. And uh, Friday was our Friday night um, service for college students. And we packed it out every Friday night in this little church that held about 150 to 200 people. We'd have three or 400 college students in there sitting on the floor, standing in the back. And uh, Saturday, I crashed because on Sunday, I had five services. Now, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm not saying is that schedule is normal and everyone should have that kind of schedule to show them how deeply they love God. No, uh, I, I was led along by a church that tried to outdo other churches and um, that's kind of what we did. But at the same time, 
there was a grace because of the, of the move of God that was going on. Um, you wanted to be in the middle of what God was doing. So one of the things that we did uh, was Bible study. And it wasn't just a little Bible study. It was every week we went somewhere. I remember when I first got saved, they were going through the book of Romans. And then we had Bible studies outside of that. And one of the things, and this is where I, I apologize to some of you in here this morning, because um, when I say, you know, if you got your Bible with you, open it up. And, I, I, and this, is, this is where it gets touchy, and I'm, th there's no shame in what I'm about to say. But when I was younger, I'm sorry, I'm just doing it again. Bibles came in churches, and they were uh, pulled apart, ripped apart, um, underlined, highlighted. They carry, we carried them with us, and everything we highlighted went in here, and everything we underlined went in here. And, and I've got you know, a bunch of Bibles that are really used. This is not a praise me kind of a moment. This is, I hope you hear what I'm trying to say at the end of it. I've, I have had a really hard time highlighting my phone. Every time I do it, I can't see the numbers anymore. That was a joke. Okay. <laughs> I know that people are, are, are reading. I know that people are going somewhere. But I also know this because I recently traveled and I recently went with a bunch of young, young adults. And I said, listen, I know you all pulled out your phone. When I came to speak, let me ask you a question. Besides the moment when you listen to a sermon, how many of you pull out your phone or a Bible to study the word? No one raised their hand. Because this is really hard to study from. It's easy to read during a sermon. I do it often because over in that corner, you see how dark it is? I pull out my Bible every week with the hope that maybe I'll have a little more light this week. And that's not anything to the guys back in tech. It's the fact that there are dark corners in this room. And I'm in one of them. So I'll, put out, I'll pull out my phone. And somebody said, well, why don't you pull out your phone and have it point down to your Bible and read it that way? Because everyone would look over in this corner to this little light that's going down like this. I don't want to be seen at that moment. So I open up my phone and I, I read along, but my Bible's right there. I want to encourage you, if this has become an easy out for a Sunday morning, please don't just stop here with the word of God. Is this okay? I just come in as a dad. I'm coming as a father in the kingdom and whatever that means to anybody. I, I, I lord nothing over anyone. I, I know my own weaknesses, my own foibles. I, I, I know them all. I know myself well, but I, I know this. I don't get this into here through my phone. I read along and I spectate with my phone. Now, I've had other young people come up to me and go, Chris, I, I know how to work it, and I highlight it, and I do all that, and I do this, and with, I do it with my computer. And I go, God bless you. That's awesome. I don't do that. The minute I start to do that, it goes over to solitary. Because <laughs> I don't know how to, I just, you know, well, let me teach you. No, that's okay. <laughs> I just, I'll use this to highlight a moment and listen to, along with somebody when they're, when they're speaking, when they're teaching, when they're opening the word of God. But I'm going to come back because what, whatever is said, I, I want to go.
Matter of fact, sometimes when there's enough light over there, and I, I just honestly tell you, and Nathan's talking, and, and I just opened up to here, and Ezekiel 3, 16, now it came to pass at the end of seven days that the Lord came and said, son of man, and so let's just say that he starts going on, and I look at this passage, and I'm going, and suddenly I look over, and I'm watching what he's doing, but I'm caught up with what's going on in the story. And then 15 minutes later, I'll look up and I go, what's he been saying for 15 minutes? Because I've been studying and highlighting. I get taken away by this thing. I don't get taken away when I'm just going along. And again, that can be an age thing, and I appreciate that. But I know it's more than that. We okay? Okay. You still in a relationship? Okay. Okay. <laughs> One of the tragedies of the Jesus movement, um, and this is really true, I'll just, I'll just tell you, one of the tragedies is that we had Bible studies, people came to Friday night services because they were exciting, they were, they were hot, music was playing, and they're dancing, and we're doing all sorts of stuff, and then Monday was this prayer meeting Bible study, Tuesday was a, a more formal Bible study, and then people had little Bible studies in home groups and this and that. Um, one of the tragedies was the, the crowd that we would see on Friday, we would see them every Friday, but we never saw them at any other function. And so what, what happened was that over, over time, um, they, they turned into spectators, and eventually we never saw them anymore because something didn't get rooted in them. There's a rooting that needs to take place. Why does a rooting need, need to take place? Um, if I can turn the page, I'll tell you. <coughs> um, it says in uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, I'm going, I'm, I'm bypassing some scriptures, guys, sorry. I, I'm just going on my own little journey here. <laughs> um, All scriptures breathe, God breathed and is useful to teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped. Thoroughly equipped. One of the, one of the uh, translations is, is to, to be equipped and rooted. Wow. So in other words, the importance of rooting, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, it's talked about being to be rooted and grounded, to know the love of God, which passes knowledge. What does that mean, which passes knowledge? It means I come to a point of learning who God is, and I get to the end, I go, oh, wow, this is amazing. This is, I, I have this knowledge of God. And he says, yeah, but it passes it. Oh, so in other words, that wall isn't a brick wall. It's just it's painted like a brick, but it's just paper. And we can push through it into a greater degree of understanding and knowledge of God. In other words, I don't stop learning when I know what I think I need to know to be a church member. I keep going the rest of my life as a student of God. He's the teacher, I'm the student. All scripture is God-breathed to equip us. If, if, if this isn't in us, Something else is equipping us. If this isn't rooting us, we're rooted in something else. I, what is that something else? Well, that something else can be very, it, it's the accepted belief of the day. Right now, I talk to believers that believe things that I can't believe they believe. I can't believe I said that sentence. There, there are so many different things. Our present-day culture 
is not what I'm conformed to. I'm conformed to his image by his word. If I bypass his word in my life as, as, a, as a foundation, as a rooting system to my life, something else is going to grab me. I'm going to have energy about a present-day cultural thing, and that will energize me. That's what I'm going to be all about. I don't want to be about the present-day culture. 2,000 years since the word of God has been here, it's still valid. It's God-breathed. But if I bypass God-breathed, I get man-breathed. I don't want to ingest man-breathed. I need to be equipped because my life, I need to equip for the things in my life that are the things in your life. Such as what? What are the betrayal? At some point in time, somebody you love is going to betray you. How do you biblically handle that? Well, I can, I can either act or I can react. I have a choice. I always have a choice. Act is what is what scripture have to say about this and how do I handle it? Reaction is, is I have energy and anger and I need to vent it. Uh, it's, one's cultural, one's biblical. How about the loss of family and friends when someone dies? I know way too many people that when someone dies that they're close. By the way, <coughs> Everyone in this room will die. It's a hard reality. I dealt with it when I was eight years old. I'm laying in bed one night. I went, oh, no. I am going to die. Remember that moment in your life when you realized that you were going to die? There's not much feedback from this. It's like if you don't laugh, it won't happen. I'm not acknowledging it. That's not the word of God. It is. Unto dust you shall return. Okay, now let's deal with reality, biblical reality. Okay, I, that's going to happen. So if it happens to others first that I love, well, one of the cultural things that I see going on is I'm dismantling or deconstructing my faith. And part of it is because a loved one died. I don't understand the God that would let this loved one die. It's like, he killed them? He didn't kill them. We don't know what went on. We don't know what he saved them from over the past. We don't know how. But this I know, that when they see each other face to face, there's joy in the heart of God for that believer that stands before them. And we're over here, and we're going, oh, I feel hurt. Well, biblically, what's my response? Well, the sting of death takes away what culture tries to give. The sting of death is, is gone. It's been lifted because I know what the word of God has to say about it. I know where they're going. I know what they won't have. I know that every tear they ever had is gone. Tears are dried up. That's the biblical understanding. On this side, it's the reaction. I have seen people leave their faith because someone close to them died. Wow. I see it all the time. I pray that they come back to a knowledge of the truth, but I, I'm not harsh. I, I'm, I'm a pretty level-headed, hopefully kind of kind guy. She doesn't think so, but... 
So I don't go into, I, I don't attack anyone that's going through those kinds of, if someone lost a loved one and they're losing faith, the last thing they need to do is self-righteous Christian come and attack them. They need to be prayed for. They need to have an, a, an ear that's available to hear what they have to say, even if it comes out like a blowtorch. I don't react to blowtorches. I listen to blowtorches. Because beyond, on the other side of the blowtorch is a heart that's broken. <clears throat> but if you're here, I can guarantee you, between now and the time you see Jesus face to face, people that you know and that you love are going to pass. Well, how do we biblically handle that? I want to biblically handle it. The three people in my life that I grew up with I, were my mom, my dad, and my grandmother. <laughs> I love them. I lived with my grandmother on and off. I, I uh, <clears throat> lived in 12 different places by the time I was eight. Half of them were with my grandmother. Um, my parents split a few times. Ended up at eight years old living with my mom, got reconnected and restored with my father for the last 10 years of his life. We loved each other deeply, and, and uh, <clears throat> it, it was amazing. But my, my grandmother at 99 passed in 90. My dad passed in 91, and my mom passed in 92. And I had people tell me, uh, I, literally, it was less than a two-year period where the three most important people in my life passed away. And had I not been grounded in this thing, I would have been so angry because they all left me really fast. And they were all kind of, well, two of them were a surprise. My grandmother was 99. That wasn't a big surprise. <laughs> but I had people tell me, oh, man, they, they literally told me. They were really trying to help me out. I'd be so, and they used the P word, at God. <laughs> I would be so ticked at him. If that happened to me, and, and part of my answer was, why? I'm disappointed they're gone. I love them dearly. I cried with all of them. I went up to my grandmother's room in the hospital. She had died. I went over, and I just sat in the bed and held her, her head in my hands and just looked at her. 99, she's gone. She's with Jesus. And I just kissed her forehead, and, and I, I just loved on this one. Uh, <clears throat> same thing with my, with my dad. Um, just the whole story with him, the love that we expressed. With my mom, she's lying in bed and she's dying. She's got about a week to go, but I had to go back, fly back to Kansas City. Uh, I had flown out to, to be with her and spend the week while she was in the process of passing away. And when it came time to go, I had a mustache, by the way. <laughs> For 20 years, from high school on, I had a mustache. And uh, I... Thinking of growing it back. No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> It'd come back gray, and I would just look like Coach Reed of the Chiefs. Um, <clears throat> and when it gets cold, it does that, you know. <clears throat> and so I'm lying there, and it came, and she, she takes her hand, and she puts it up on my, my, my lip. She goes, can I? I'm, I'm, I was her youngest. She always called me the baby. Can I? She goes, can I see my baby the way I used to know him without this? What are you going to do? This woman's dying. She asked, can I see you without your mustache? No, Mom. My mustache is more, you know, it's not that important. I went into the bathroom and grabbed that horrible yellow razor that's in bathrooms. 
that, you know, the one that's, it's, you don't know why it's there because it just rips everything apart. And so I soaked it up as well as I could. And it took me a few different layers to get that off. And it wasn't pleasant, but it was for my mom. <clears throat> and I went back, I sat by her bed, and she goes, oh, with her hand just really weak, there's my baby, there's my baby. I'm thinking, Mom, I don't want to lose you. You're, you're 68 years old. Dad was 67. This is, these are young people. And finally, I had to go out and look at her. Mom, I got to go. She goes, oh, okay, honey, I love you. I said, I love you. She goes, have a nice trip. I looked at her and goes, Mom, you have a nice trip. I'll see you on the other side of mine. And we hugged, and I cried, and I walked out of the hospital crying. <clears throat> and she died shortly after I got back to Kansas City. And I had all these people in Kansas City, a couple of them in Kansas City. says, you went to see her, and, and I'm so sorry for that, but didn't your dad just die last year? And I heard the same thing. I would be so angry. I said, you know what? I want to be equipped so that I'm not moved uh, into an unbiblical response. Okay? Now, a biblical response is not without emotion. It's not without tears. It's not without caring. It's not without crying. You know, I, it's, stoicism is not biblical. All right? Compartmentalizing life is not biblical. I want to live as a whole person. Okay? I want to be able to feel and sense and go in my life and move forward as a, as a, as a person who who, like Jesus, and I, if I could become more conformed to his image, he was able to take everything, and he had, a, he had a perfect response. My responses are not perfect at all, but I can't imagine what they'd be if they weren't without this word. We all have struggles with work and struggle with finances, challenges at home, all the different things that come at us, and yet I become equipped because of God-breathed scripture in my life. It equips me. It equips you. We have a generation. And I, again, I'm, I'm saying this because I just got back and I just talked to a whole bunch of them. We have a generation who longs for the word of God and doesn't quite know how to get to it. We're going to do Jesus school. I love the idea of Jesus school. But Jesus school in and of itself won't help if if something in your heart doesn't move towards, I want to know more of him. It's not to know more, uh, memorize more scripture. It's not to know more facts. It's not to know how to pronounce all these names that, that I always had a hard time in college to, to seminary, to, to know and understand the names. I just, it's about knowing him. It's, it's that part of you that says, all right, how long have I been a, a, a spectator in the house of God? And what does it mean to be a Berean in my life? My grandmother got saved at 82 and devoured scripture. She lived till 99 and had visions for 17 years. She would talk to me about scripture and she'd have more revelation than I had. Why? Because she poured herself into that which pours into her. She became well-watered. She became a Berean at 82 years old. Listen, I need wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 1.7. How do I get wisdom in my life? The word of God says, fear the Lord. It doesn't mean cower. Again, it's know the awe of God. 
What does the fear of the Lord mean? The fear of the Lord means this. It means that we understand that he is big and we are small. That we are in need and he fulfills our needs. That when we fall and fail, he's there to pick us up. Awe is a gift. The beginning of wisdom is when we have awe that understands that we're small and we need something larger in our life. It understands that we know some, but we don't know all. And it puts us on a road to that which will fulfill, which is all scriptures, God breathed, and equips us. Psalm 32.8 says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way. I will counsel you with my loving eye. I'll show you where to go. I want leading. How do I get led? Well, it says, I'll instruct you and teach you. Where am I going to hear God instruct me and teach me? If I know the principles here, it will seep into my being and will become part of my decision-making process. It's not like, oh, God, I need to know whether I should do this. Oop, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and he was buried. <laughs> okay, never mind that one. But that's how sometimes we want to, Lord, I want a word, I want a word. Well, let me tell you something. Put the word in you, and at the right time, it'll seep into your brain. That's well watered. That's what it means. Listen, I memorized stupid things when I was younger. I memorized the presidents when I was four. Who does that? Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, Adams, Jackson. We'll stop right there. Okay, when I was eight. One, you want to know what I memorized when I was eight? Crest has been shown to be an effective decay-preventive dentifrice that can be of significant value when used in a conscientiously applied program of personal hygiene and regular professional care. How did I know that? Well, when I brushed my teeth, I turned the Crest thing over. Crest has been shown to be an effective decay-preventive... I did. <laughs> How can you use that? You can't. It wasn't a pickup line. Hey, crest has been shown. <laughs> we memorize and learn very foolish things sometimes. And so suddenly at 19 years old, I meet the Lord, and I'm given this thing to look at and to read. And I didn't understand it at first. It was, it was kind of like Greek to me. And I never did well in that class. And I'm, I'm reading and looking. And then suddenly, a light bulb went off. And I prayed this prayer that David prayed. Show me, Psalm 25, 4. Show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. And I'll never forget going through Psalms and getting to that point where David's crying out, show me your ways and teach me your paths. Oh, I need to make this a prayer. So I made desire a prayer. Catch that. Some of you may go, well, I, I don't really have the time or desire, whatever. You have time for what you desire. Okay? You always make time for what you desire. What would happen if your heart began to turn because you prayed that you would have a desire to know him more? Make that your prayer. Wouldn't it be amazing if suddenly biblical illiteracy in this room didn't happen? I need to know more. 
I was just with someone the other day and we're talking about something and I have a pretty good education in the word of God and, and, and he's talking and he, he goes, yeah, as it says, and, and he starts quoting the scripture that I've read a hundred times but I haven't memorized and he went to pontificate on what this meant and I sat there going, I want that. I want more. What he has right now is equipping him for the subject we're talking about. I know about it, but I don't know it like he does. And while he's talking, I'm doing David's prayer. <laughs> Lord, I need more. It takes humility to do it, and I pray that I can humble myself enough in this life so that I don't reach the end and say, wow, Chris, you left so much on the table. I don't want to do that. I don't think you want to do that. That's not why you're here. So I want to challenge you as one thing this morning. Would you stand with me a second? That song that we sang, a deep dive, and a deep dive into all that God is. Signing up, coming to Jesus School, I think that's awesome, and I think you should do it. There's people out there this morning that are going to help you do that if that's in your heart. But it's not going to a place or listening to words. It's something in here that says, I need more, I want more. And as I said, it's called desire. And we have a lot of altar calls that are for healing, and there are going to be people up here that if you need healing or you need prayer for any kind of thing that's a burden on your heart, But I'm going to also have an altar call that's not going to someone. It's you coming up. And this is not a New Year's resolution in the middle of February. I worked in a health club years ago when I was healthy. (laughs) It was 1981. And I remember January signups. And then you never saw them by the middle of February. One or two would be hangers on. So New Year's resolutions never really did it for me. But it's, it's a desire, it's a prayer of desire that you would have that is between you, you and the Lord. So just close your eyes for a minute. Lord, we just come to you this morning. We want to have seeking hearts. You see in Proverbs 18, is the heart of the discerning acquires knowledge. And the ears of the wise, they seek it out. Lord, we want this church, and I know you do, to be a people who seek out your face, seek out your heart, seek out your thoughts, seek out your word. Lord, and I pray this morning, that you'd begin to work in our hearts to become Davids with prayers for desire into the things of God. If you're here this morning and that resonates with you at all from where you've come from, from what you've done, that you you've, you say, I know the Lord and I've, I've read the word, but there's, there's something this morning that's tugging at your heart to go, I need to dig deeper. I need, to, I need a deep dive into the word of God for the sake of my life. If that's you this morning, I just want you to come up. Just you before the Lord.
This is not saying you don't know anything. It's saying I want more. going to give it time because some of you will have that weight on your heart. Lord, we just ask that you give us seeking hearts, searching hearts, a return to pursuing you through your word, that your word would be alive in us. It would not be something that we take out now and then. It would not be a form of convenience to know a passage or follow along. But like Psalm 119, which is dedicated to knowing the word of God, our hearts and our lives, there'd be a, a new dedication to knowing you through your word, of being led by your word, of being equipped because of your word. So Lord, I just thank you for each one here, and I, I ask that you would, for all of us, matter of fact, put your, put your hand on your heart for a second. And I want you to pray David's prayer with me. It's just very short. It says, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. They've prayed it. So, Lord, I pray now that you would do it and be glorified in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out our Sermon of the Week. If you have questions or would like to get connected, download our app or visit us at providencecommunity.org.